As we look once again, Lord, to your kingdom, I pray for an encouragement of hearts and uplifting of spirits. Would you encourage the body this morning with these things and speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, beginning in verse 1. We say no to an awful lot of things, don't we, in the world. And it gets tiresome sometimes. You're offered things and you have to say, no, I don't do that. Or someone wants to go somewhere and say, no, I don't go there. And, And I was thinking about this this last week. Sometimes I just get tired of saying no. Isn't it wonderful that in Jesus Christ it is all yes? That anything Jesus asks us to do, we can say yes. That anything He invites us to is an absolute yes. And this morning we're going to talk once again about the kingdom of God, which is a great big yes. Now we talk about the kingdom a lot, and because of that, when I came to Isaiah 35, where he describes that future kingdom, that's what the chapter is, just ten verses of description of the kingdom. It's marvelous, it's wonderful, but I read through it a dozen times. I thought, it just speaks for itself, I'm not sure if I can even preach on this. And God said, sit tight, Rick, and I did. (laughs) And there is so much here to look at and to consider. And so I invite you once again to say yes to the kingdom. Yes to our future hope. Yes to what the Lord has planned for us. Verse 1 of Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arava will rejoice and blossom Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely. It will rejoice with rejoicing and shout with joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah, or the desert. The scorched land will become a pool, and thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there. A roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Wow. Doesn't that, I mean, you just read it and feel better. 19th century poet Robert Browning once wrote the following lines. He said, The years at the spring and days at the morn Mornings at seven, the hillsides do pearled. The lark's on the wing, the snail's on the thorn. God's in His heaven. All is right with the world. A poem about spring. And there are many poems about spring. Many quotes about springtime. And we are in the spring of the year. Yesterday was glorious. Wasn't it beautiful? The sun was out. We actually went down to the beach. Had a great time down there. Relaxing and just enjoying the sun and the vitamin D. It was was great. (laughs) 
You know, the energy returns, especially up here. And we have friends up from California, as I mentioned, Chris, our drummer, and his wife, Diane. And they're visiting with their girls from California. And so they're used to, you know, sun 24-7. And uh, being up here, they, they can't understand how excited we are. You know, the sun's out. It's just the best. Robin Williams said, spring is nature's way of saying, let's party. <laughs> we started our walk through Isaiah. I realized on a cold Thanksgiving weekend five months ago. That's when we opened up this book for the first time, and it was the outset of what's been a long, wet, dreary winter. You know we've gone through this. But it does appear that spring is finally in the air. Even walking down this morning, the birds are all singing. They're twitter-pated. It's wonderful. (laughs) And I look around, and I'm reminded of Solomon's poetry. When Solomon says in the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 10, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. And can't you just imagine Jesus, our beloved, saying those words? Come along, my darling. Come along, my beautiful one. Come along. It's springtime. Ever since the fall of man, Jesus has been calling and inviting us to the spring of redemption. He's been inviting us into that place. The coming kingdom of God. Throughout the scriptures, the kingdom of God and springtime tend to be synonymous. You know, that joy of life coming back. Even the fact that Christians are born again is a picture of new life springing up where there once was winter and death and cold. And so the kingdom is referred to in many ways of blossoming and budding and springing and beauty. Psalm 65 verse 12 says, The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Ezekiel the prophet, chapter 34, verse 26, said, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and they will be showers of blessing. Hosea 14, verse 5, the Lord says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and His beauty will be like the olive tree, and His fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. And so the coming kingdom... It's so often pictured as that flourishing, fertile, and flowering springtime of the year. Isaiah 35 is a sneak preview of that. Just ten verses, as I said before, a sneak preview of the budding and thriving kingdom. And it's marvelous timing, because you know if you've been around here the last, oh, I don't know, couple of months, three or four months, really, we've been in a long section of Isaiah. Marvelous and wonderful, but we've gone through two heavy, wintry sections. The book of burdens and the book of woes. Back to back. The Lord, through His prophet, pronounces judgment on the people and woe to the people and woe to the surrounding nations. All these laid out very heavily and very seriously. But I'm glad to tell you this morning the book of woes is over. And chapter 35 here is, as J. Vernon McGee wrote, he says, the fires of judgment have burned out. The sword of justice is sheathed. The evening of earth trouble is ended. The morning of millennial delights has come. Springtime. In the kingdom of God. I want you to consider with me just for a moment this morning the characteristics of the kingdom as we see here in chapter 35. 
After this chapter, there's a, a history section, chapters 36 through 39. We're going to do all of that on Wednesday night. And then next Sunday, we'll begin in chapter 40, the whole book of Consolation, which is marvelous, as we just head higher and higher and higher and higher with Isaiah toward the end of the book. Unless, of course, Jesus comes and we head higher and higher and higher <laughs> with Him. Four streams, if you will. Coming out of the cold desert season. And by the way, the desert can be bitterly cold. And we've come out of that in the desert. And now it's springtime. Four streams to consider this morning. Four streams. Stream number one, the stream of restoration. The stream of restoration, beginning in verse one. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Stream of restoration. First sign of the arrival and of the king and his kingdom is the very desert blossoms. The desert goes green. The once thirsty land, well watered and beautiful. Isaiah talks about Lebanon, Carmel, the Sharon Valley. These are the richest and most fertile areas of the Mediterranean there in the region of Israel. These regions are the most beautiful. The Sharon Valley today produces the most fruit and vegetation there in Israel. And I told you, didn't I, that Israel is the number three exporter of fruits in the world. Tiny little Israel. And much of that coming right out of the Sharon Valley. Mount Carmel, a rich and fruitful mountain covered with vines all around. And of course, up in Lebanon, the glory of Lebanon, talking about the cedars of Lebanon and the growth and the beauty there, that that kind of warm, almost tropical region. And these rich, fruitful areas were, Bible students, you may recall, they were a couple of chapters back, fried The fertile fields were fried. Back in chapter 33, verse 9, says, The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. says, And Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. Now, historically, Isaiah there is talking about Assyria just ravaging the land, taking these beautiful, fruitful areas and trashing them completely. That's historically. Prophetically, Isaiah points to the devastation of this world and of the land of Israel during that time of tribulation, when even the Sharon Valley turns into a wasteland of devastation and war. But gang, you know even now the earth is wilting. We look around and things are not the way they seem. And I'm not just talking spiritually, I'm talking even physically. Did you know the deserts of the earth are expanding? This is one for the global warming crowd. It's called desertification. Not desertification, that's a different thing. Desertification, and it is, quote, the global degradation of dry lands, regions that are already deserts, increasing in size and scope. The Sahara Desert, for example, the last several years measured, has been increasing at a rate of 48 kilometers a year. Getting bigger. The earth is wilting. And this is, gang, this is biblical. It's not a global warming thing. It's not just a cyclical pattern of the earth that, well, we're in a drier season or a warmer season and a wetter season will come. The Bible is absolutely clear on this, that creation itself, from the sin, the fall of man, all the way to present day, has been atrophying, has been dying. Through one man, through Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. Well, that's not just death for you and me. 
That is worldwide death. That is death to all living things as the sun burns out and the earth begins to wilt. Remember last week we talked about this, Genesis 3.18. Thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, the Lord said to Adam. And Paul reminds us in Romans 8 verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here's a great bumper sticker idea for you. Go green, get saved. (laughs) You want to save the world? You want to save the planet? Give your life to Jesus Christ. Become a follower of Jesus. You want to speed up the process of global restoration? Become a Christian. Because the world is waiting for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. That's why the world is still wilting today, but it will be marvelous. When Jesus comes, when the saints are revealed, the deserts will begin to bloom and blossom. And it's not tied to how well we can be stewards of the earth. Yes, we should take care of the earth in which we live, but we're not going to save the planet. Jesus will save us, will save the planet. You see how that works? And so the very salvation of man, the very salvation of the planet, is tied to the salvation of man. Isn't that marvelous? And our restoration game will impact and restore, bring restoration to the earth. Until the kingdom comes, what I'm saying here, is until the kingdom comes, it ain't going to get better. Try as you might. Subscribe to you know whatever organizations you want. But until Jesus comes, it ain't going to get better. So gang, go green. Get saved. <laughs> That's the key. But when the kingdom comes, as we just read, even the deserts will expand and bloom. The stream of restoration. Second stream, the stream of regeneration. The stream of regeneration. We need to sit here at this stream for a while, so get comfortable. Verse 3. Encourage the exhausted. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Now you Bible students may recall, Jesus referred to the kingdom as the regeneration. That's Jesus' word for the kingdom. Matthew 19, 28. He says, in the time of the regeneration. And the kingdom will be just that. It will be a time of renewal, rebirth, revival, rejuvenation, all wrapped up into one magnificent kingdom age. Sickness will be a thing of the past. Healing, listen, healing will be the new normal. That will be the bottom line for people in the kingdom of God. People are going to live a long time. We'll talk about that later in Isaiah. Life will be precious, will be wonderful. People will not get sick like we do now. And I'm not talking about, and we need to understand this, I'm talking about people in their natural human state in the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about the church that's already been raptured, glorified, now ruling and reigning with Jesus in the kingdom. We're already in our eternal state, so we're not going to get sick anyway. But your average person, your common individual living in the kingdom on planet earth will be healed all the time. Healing will be the new norm. 
And as I said earlier, at the root of every ailment that plagues mankind today is sin. Sin is the cause. And I'm not saying that judgmentally, that you got a cold so you must have done something wrong. (laughs) I'm saying that the root of all illness, the root of all sickness, be it cancer, be it AIDS, be it anything else, it all comes originally from sin. Now AIDS is an easy one, by the way. You know this. That's an easy one to attach to sin. Because we know the roots of AIDS. We know right where it came from. We know how it is propagated, how it continues. So it's easy to say that AIDS comes from sin. But gang, everything else does too. Leukemia comes from sin. Or not the person who has the leukemia, although because there is sin in all of us, our bodies don't have the capability, the capacity to heal themselves. We do the best we can. But sin is directly... Isaiah connects sin and sickness. We talked about this Wednesday night. He makes it absolutely clear. In fact, look in your Bibles back in chapter 33. Chapter 33, verse 24. Talking about this same kingdom, this coming kingdom, Isaiah makes this comment. No resident will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. You see the connection? You won't say you're sick because you're forgiven. What? Shouldn't it say, I I won't say I'm sick because I've been healed? No. It's because you've been forgiveness. Forgiveness brings healing. Forgiveness is the key to healing. Exodus 23.25 says, You shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water. And I will remove sickness from your midst. An ancient promise to the people of Israel that will be fulfilled in the kingdom, I will remove sickness from you. The stream of regeneration. And this is the power of God at work in in the kingdom to come. More than any other prescription, any other medical or medicinal aid or remedy, we need the healing of forgiveness. And that's why it's so important that you hear, especially if you're not a believer and you don't know this, so important that you hear this morning, you are forgiven. Jesus cried out from the cross, not, Father, heal them, but, Father, forgive them. Because forgiveness has a far greater impact on our hearts and on our lives than than physical healing does because it brings that healing. It's a direct result of divine forgiveness in the kingdom. And note this, in the kingdom, the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Wait a minute. Haven't we seen some of that? Hasn't that already happened on this planet? Listen again. The eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap, the tongue of the mute. When did that happen? When Jesus came. All of this began to take place, and those who were paying attention in the day would have compared Isaiah's teaching to what Jesus was doing. In fact, Jesus did. Jesus says, you want proof that I'm the Messiah? He was asked by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sitting in prison close to his death. He he probably had a sense it was almost over for him. And he was wondering, are we on the right path here? Did I proclaim the right Messiah? I I, I just want to know. John the Baptist, of all people, his faith is, is failing a little bit. So he sends his disciples off to find Jesus. And they find Him. They come to Him and they say, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Matthew 11, verse 4, Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, 
Messiah's here. John, the king has arrived. He has shown up. So are you saying, Rick, then that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy? I'm saying this, listen. Wherever the king goes, his kingdom will be experienced. Wherever the king goes, his kingdom will be, should be experienced. Where the king is present, healing is present, because that's what the king does. And so wherever the king is present, his kingdom should be experienced. His kingdom order should be present as well. Now listen carefully, I want to be very clear on this. The Bible doesn't mince words. The literal, actual, tangible, even physical kingdom of God will be manifested on the earth in the millennial kingdom. And this is not some weird teaching. This is exactly what Revelation teaches. Read Revelation chapter 20. It's absolutely clear. Read the Hebrew prophets. They cover this in depth. God promised a kingdom to Israel. He will deliver on that promise. And that kingdom, as we've read in Isaiah 35, is a worldwide kingdom. A literal, actual, coming kingdom. Not a spiritual one. We're not in the kingdom today. Some teach that we are. Or some teach that the church is in and of itself the kingdom and is slowly or taking the world and will hand the world over to Jesus on a silver platter saying, look at what we've done. Here we go. It's a gift to you. And the Bible's clear it will not work that way. But we're citizens of a kingdom that's not here yet. And when we gather, there is kingdom order. And when we are together, where two or three are gathered in my name, the king said, I'm there. So wherever the king is, his kingdom should be experienced. You see, I'm, I'm making the distinction, and it's important we understand, the kingdom is coming, but we are citizens of that kingdom right now. And we function together for that kingdom right now. And the evangelism that we do is for the kingdom today. Everything that we can do, realizing that He's going to bring the kingdom, the king will bring it, he will establish it, it will be literal, but today we're functioning, we're moving, we're part of that future kingdom that is yet to be truly seen and will not be truly seen until Jesus comes. But here's the thing, and I absolutely believe this, so listen. Just as the world saw kingdom healing when Jesus was present, so we should expect kingdom healing where His Spirit is present. We should expect these things, gang. Where the King is present, there should be kingdom healing taking place. The lame should walk, the blind should see, the deaf should hear, the tongue of the mute should be shouting for joy wherever the King is present. I need pastors talking about the supernatural again. I am just saying that as citizens of His kingdom, as Jesus' people, within whom His Spirit abides, we should see and experience healing as the normal for kingdom people. It should be the norm. Now, stay here in this stream of regeneration and turn over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let me just give you a picture of kingdom people following after, led by, inhabited by the spirit of their King Jesus, living and moving and just doing what kingdom people should do. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. 
at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. I'm not going to make a car joke. Okay, I just kind of did. Verse 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Know what just happened, gang. Signs and wonders are taking place, verse 12. Verse 13 says, there are certain people who are saying, this is just ah, stepping back, a little freaked out by what, they're saying, by what they're seeing going on. But the church, the body, was unified like no other time. And apparently because of all this that was taking place, and even the awe with which the people held the church, multitudes were being saved. Why is that? Because they were so different. Because what was going on there in Solomon's portico with the church gathered together was so different than anything else happening in Israel in the time. And people were saying, I want that. That is not like my life. I want that. How are we doing as a church today being different in such a way that people are saying, man, that's what I want to have. That's where I want to be. Is the church held in high esteem today as it was early on? And it breaks my heart to say no. Well, why is that? Because the faith of so many people within the body of Christ is weak right now. Paul even says it's, that's why a lot of people are getting sick. You know? 1 Corinthians 11. All this is going on and people are coming in droves. Multitudes, the word is in verse 14. To such an extent, watch this, verse 15, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. Why? Because the kingdom was present. Because the king's spirit was there. Because kingdom people were living in faith. And the order of the kingdom was taking place all around them. And it was the norm for the church in the first century. (laughs) You might say, "But, but Rick, we're talking about the apostles here. And I would say, exactly. We're talking about the apostles here. Same guys last week who were slow of heart. Remember we talked about that? The guys who were terrified. The guys who were astounded. The guys who said the resurrection of Jesus Christ was nonsense. That's Luke 24. What's happened between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 5? The Spirit of Jesus is present in the people. Why could Peter walk down the road, have his shadow fall, and people be healed? Not because Peter was anything special. He's still Peter. In fact, Paul will point out later in the New Testament, he's still doing stupid things. But he's filled with the Spirit. Which is greatly encouraging to me because I still do stupid things, but I'm filled with the Spirit. (laughs) And for all my stupid human tricks, I walk with the Spirit of Christ. And so did the apostles. So did the first century church. And gang, that same spirit, and this is where I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out to you to pray about, to consider, to ask, Lord, do something with our faith about this. But the same spirit present in Peter and the apostles that rocked the world in the first century, same spirit is present in us today. 
And if we believe that, healing should be the norm. Not the buzz, not the thrill, not the reason. It should just be the norm. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And I've told you before, that word regeneration is the same word Jesus used to refer to the kingdom. The way it is in the kingdom is what happens to us when we give our lives to Jesus, even now. And Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. There's your streams of regeneration. should be flowing out of us. And John said, He spoke this of the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Streams in the desert. That describes the church, or should. It should describe this fellowship, gang. As followers of Jesus, if we're walking in simple faith and trust in the Holy Spirit, we should be, we will be, streams in the desert. Streams of regeneration. Okay, well... Alright, Pastor Rick, what kind of healing are you talking about here? What kind of healing should we expect to see? Well, Isaiah already covered the physical... In verses 5 and 6, blind, lame, deaf, mute, all healed. And I know it's easy to reason away the supernatural. In fact, that's part of the problem. The church coming out of the place of spiritual mentality into soul mentality, working it out, intellectualizing it, making it make sense for us. And when we get in that place, we begin to deny the work of the Spirit. Gang, if we head down that road, if we reason away the supernatural, we are going to find ourselves ultimately reasoning away our faith. You pull the supernatural out of it. And what was it that Paul said? People living with a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And I don't want to live that way. I don't want to function that way. I say again, wherever the king goes, his kingdom will be experienced. You can write that down if you want to. (laughs) Wherever the king goes, his kingdom will be experienced. Jesus healed all kinds of physical ailments. He did that, obviously. He said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Why was Peter's shadow falling on people and healing them? Because he believed in Jesus. Greater works. If we're believing in Jesus, should we not experience that or see that? Don't intellectualize this. The works of Jesus involved every kind of healing. Body, mind, and spirit. Now, go back to verse 3. And here's why sometimes I think healing is dismissed. Verse 3. Encourage the exhausted. And strengthen the feeble. And say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Three types of people are mentioned right here in these verses. The exhausted, number one. Encourage the exhausted. This is healing we should see. Now, we talk about physical healing, and that should be happening, absolutely. But even more important, even more significant, we should see healing in these areas, in mental, emotional areas, in spiritual areas. Listen, the exhausted should be encouraged. The word exhausted, some versions say weak hands. 
Those with weak hands. It's rafe in the Hebrew. And it means literally emotionally weak. People who are disheartened. People who are discouraged. Literally weak from hopelessness. That's what the word implies there. So those who are exhausted are weak from hopelessness. What are we as followers of Jesus Christ? We are those who have a living hope. Right? 1 Peter 1.3, we read it last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again, like springtime, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the exhausted become encouraged. The hopeless, those who are just weakened by hopelessness, become encouraged. That's, that's our job, gang. Not only in the world, but among each other. Encourage the exhausted Restore hope to those who are becoming hopeless. Strengthen the hands of those who are weak because they're just having a hard time believing. Come alongside a brother or sister. Encourage the exhausted. Secondly, he says the feeble here. Strengthen the feeble. The word feeble is barak in the Hebrew. Barak, which means literally weak in the knees. Okay, our friends, they're not here, so I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> Diane had, had her iPad open and was on YouTube, and she said, you've got to see this. It's the world's worst zit. Yeah. It's on this guy's back. And I, I'm like, oh, oh. And his wife, and, and they video this. It's absolutely disgusting. It is, I, I'm telling you, it's the, I will never eat tapioca again. It is the grossest thing I have ever seen. Absolutely disgusting. And I, I'm, I'm looking over the back of the couch and I see this whole process start and I just walked away. And like for 10 minutes, and I kid you not, I was weak in the knees. That's what this word means. This word berak means weak in the knees, unable to stand. Please don't, don't Google this video. <laughs> wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's sickness. It's sin. So avoid it. I was weak in the knees. I felt feeble after seeing this thing. And gang, this is, this is the word. Berak. Uh, weak in the knees, unable to stand, literally feeble because of fear. Because of being afraid. Barak, by the way, in the Hebrew, is the opposite of the word Barak. Not Obama. (laughs) The Hebrew word Barak means blessed. So you've got feebleness or you have blessing. Feeble from fear, Barak or Barak. Blessed. That kind of healing we should see. If we don't recognize God's blessing in our lives, we quickly go from Barak to Barak. From standing firm to being weak in the knees. Some of you would say, politically, we've already gone from Barak to Barak. I'm not going to talk about that right now. (laughs) Jude 24 says, He is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. This is healing, gang. When a heart goes from feeble fear to great blessing to rejoicing in our blessing instead of afraid in our feebleness. There's healing that has taken place there. Don't undermine that. Don't just say, well, he's just in a better state of mind. No, he's been healed. And we should expect that kind of healing to be going on as well. 
The exhausted encourage, the feeble strengthen. And the anxious of heart, verse 4, should be fearless. Give courage to the anxious of heart. All three of these conditions, exhaustion, feebleness, and anxiety, are sicknesses of the soul and the spirit. And all of them, gang, should be healed where the king is present. Why do we see things like hopelessness and fear and anxiety among Jesus' people? Where the King is present, these things ought not to be. These things come, my friends, when we take our eye off the ball, when we forget about the coming kingdom. And God reminded me of this this week. He said, Rick, keep preaching the kingdom. You keep talking about the kingdom. Keep reminding them of the kingdom. Why? Well, so that the exhausted will be encouraged, the feeble will be strengthened, and the anxious of heart will take courage. The kingdom does that. The healing that comes with the kingdom does this to us. All of our heartaches, our worries, our anxieties, gang, they are symptoms of forgetfulness. And so let me just tell you this morning, remember, your king is coming. Yes! we got a half clap there. Let me say it again. Your king is coming. Okay. I mean, praise the Lord. This is why Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, straighten up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That should bring a smile to your face and encouragement to your hearts. This is why Isaiah keeps going back to the future in his book. Over and over, every few chapters, we come back to the kingdom. And then there were some woes, and we're back at the kingdom. And some burdens, but we're back to the kingdom. Again and again, he brings this up. And again, as we come later into the book, further into the book, it's more kingdom, 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 until it's all he's talking about. Why? Because it makes all the difference. It changes us. This is why we're staying so long by this stream of regeneration this morning. Because we need to recognize where the King is present, His kingdom follows. There are things we should expect that should be natural as part of the kingdom, as His fellowship, as a church body. If you're one of Jesus' people, you have the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit going on right now. That's your new normal. And it's up to you if you want to believe it or not. And if you believe it, healing becomes the new norm. If you don't believe it, now, I know someone will say, Rick, you're, you're getting awfully close to the whole faith healing thing where if I'm sick and I'm not getting healed, I just don't have enough faith. I'm not going to go there because I don't believe that's fair. I'm just saying, let us be open to the work of the Lord and recognize what He wants to do. At the same time, always saying, your will be done. If it's your will to work through my life in such a way that I deal with a sickness long term so that it brings you glory, hallelujah, that's fine with me. But I'm also accepting, Lord, that where your King is present, where Jesus is, healing should be expected. So let's expect it and walk in His will with joyfulness and encouragement. If you're not one of Jesus' people, you can begin your healing process today. And I'll give you a chance to do that in a minute. Stay focused. Eyes on the prize. Keep looking to the coming kingdom and you will find courage and strength. It's by the way why I believe Jesus ends the whole entire Bible this way. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. It's the last thing he said. I'm coming quickly. And then John said, Amen or yes, come Lord Jesus. 
Okay, I think maybe we can leave the stream and go on to the next one. Verse 6. Verse 6, Isaiah 35. Continuing on, waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. Isaiah goes back to the Arabah again. Okay, so now we're back to the physical land. We already talked about streams in the desert, streams of restoration going on throughout the planet. Because the regeneration of man, again, affects the restoration of the earth. But note this word in verse 7. That's just great. The word scorched land. Some other translations may have it differently. The word is sharab in the Hebrew. The scorched land or the parched land. The word sharab literally means a glaring heat. A glaring heat. Glaring heat. Think about walking along a a, a desert region and looking out to the horizon and it's so hot and so desolate that there's a glare on the horizon. You know what we call that, right? A mirage. A mirage. I remember walking to school as a kid, Southern California, you know, early September, really hot, <clears throat> and walking you know, uphill both ways to school <laughs> and home. And I could look out to the edge of the street and see what looked like a pool. And so I got this concept of mirage, and you'd get there and there'd be nothing there, right? That's a mirage. If you're walking through the desert, you get there, and there's nothing there. Oh, I thought there was a pool. You get more thirsty, you rush to the place, nothing there. Gang, listen. In the kingdom, there are no mirages. You're not fooled. If you see a cool pool, when you happen upon it, guess what it is? A cool pool. Which makes me think even further that not only are there no mirages in the kingdom, but there are no mirages with the king. You're not going to get to Jesus and find out, wow, he's really not what I thought he was. No, no. No, the pool will be bigger than you ever imagined. When we come into the presence of Jesus, in God, John's Gospel, he says seven times, he makes seven I am statements, which is great. Right? Because Exodus chapter 3, Moses is there at the burning bush, and he says, who are you? What should I tell the Israelite? What should I give him your name? And he says, I am that I am. And Jesus will say in John 8.58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Egoe me in the Greek. Yahweh in the Hebrew. And when Jesus said this, it freaked out the Pharisees. Because he was saying, I'm God. I am. Seven times he will use this phrase in the book of John. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. John 10.9, I am the door. John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. John 11.25, I am the resurrection. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 15, verses 1 and 5, I am the vine. You're the branches. He doesn't say I am eight times. There's not eight I am phrases. There's seven of them. The perfect picture of Jesus who says, this is who I am. And of course, then at the close of the entire book, Revelation 22.13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What are you saying, Rick? No mirages here. I am who I am. When you see me in the distance, guess what? When you get there, that's who I am. And even greater than you could have imagined. No mirages with Jesus. 
Which brings us to the third stream in Isaiah 35, verse 8. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. It will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander upon it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. Number three, gang, is the stream of the redeemed. The stream of the redeemed. This is not a stream or a river. This is a people. Streaming along the highway of holiness, the stream of the redeemed, all those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are there in the kingdom. Streaming along the highway. Lives regenerated by faith in the grace of God. But I want you to notice who will not be floating along in the stream of the redeemed, who will not be traveling on the highway of holiness, the unclean and fools. The unclean and fools will not be there. Psalm 14, verse 1, tells us why. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If you don't even believe in God, what makes you think you'll travel on the highway of holiness? You won't. You will not be there. But what about my good deeds? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. So much for your good deeds. The good deeds will not get you there. The fool and the unclean will not walk this highway. That's why it's the stream of the redeemed. That's why this is the highway of holiness. This is a clean and untainted people whose sins, whose lives have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They will walk this highway. Now, I heard someone say recently that people shouldn't be surprised when Christians are vile. (laughs) Why not? Well, we're the ones who needed redemption, right? So if we're the ones who needed redemption and we finally recognize that, the only difference between me and and a non-Christian is that I recognize my vileness. So you should almost expect sometimes when Christians get together, it's not always going to be pretty. As long as there's any vileness still present. I've told you before, Christians are like manure. Spread us out and we fertilize fields. Clump us together. We stink. There's one more stream. One final stream. Listen to the last verse. Verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Number four, again, not a river, not a stream as in water, but it's the stream of the ransomed. The stream of the ransomed. He says the ransomed of the Lord will return. Return from where? From their hiding place in the wilderness. Verse 10 describes the return of the remnant of Israel as they come flowing back into the promised land. A redeemed people, a ransomed people. And gang, when they come, it will not be with mournful mournful sorrows and sighs. It will not be with with all the generations of anti-Semitism that they have faced. They will come streaming in, the Bible tells us, with joyful shouting. And I want you to imagine for a moment what that scene will look like. As the remnant of Israel, the most abused people in history, come flowing out of the deserts and streaming into Jerusalem. Everlasting joy upon their heads. Literally, they will overtake. The Bible says that, that joy, sorrow and sighing will flee away. It says they will find gladness and joy. The word find there is overtake. They will overtake gladness and joy. What does that mean? It means gladness and joy is already going on. 
and they will overtake it. They will add to it. It will become an even greater celebration than what's already going on. Consider this, gang. Jesus comes back. The saints come back with Him. The tribulation's over. It's all put down. Everything is settled. And the joy begins of the, of the new kingdom. And all of a sudden, here they come out of the wilderness, the people of Israel, the remnant redeemed, streaming into Jerusalem, the shouts of joy. Look at the faithfulness of God. Look at what God has done. He's accomplished all things. Hallelujah, people, praising the Lord. And I want to revise what Robin Williams say, said and just say the kingdom is God's way of saying let's party. Because that's what we have to look forward to. And I, I just, I was thinking about this a couple days ago, just thinking, man, I, I cannot wait to see that. Amen. To actually be present as the remnant comes flowing back in. Wouldn't you love to be part of that party? Amen. To be there in that day. And it won't cost you 3500 bucks a person. You can just be there. <laughs> you know, in the land. <laughs> Isaiah 66, verse 12, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed, and you will be carried on the hip, and fondled or bounced on the knees. That, my friends, is what we have to look forward to at the outset of the kingdom of God, streams in the desert. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, what a glorious day that will be. A glorious time to enter into the kingdom. To see all of this blossoming and budding. All of this fruitfulness in the kingdom on planet earth. Rejuvenated, turned around, Eden-like proportions, Father. How wonderful it is to know what your word tells us about how you're going to restore the earth. How you're going to call the redeemed into being. How you'll bring us with you. And Jesus, how marvelous to think of all the changes taking place that will bring glory and honor and praise not to earth and not to your people Israel and not to your people in the church, but will bring glory and honor and praise to your name for your faithfulness and goodness, Father. And Lord, I just pray that we might walk as citizens now, that we might have that kingdom mentality right now, praying for and expecting what happens when the King is present. That is the healing of your people and the attraction of the multitudes. And lives truly and radically changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. May we expect it now. May we look for it then when your kingdom comes in all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.